0: Hello. Thank you for joining us for another podcast episode in the Black Peak Tete-a-Tete series. This is Alex Nasser, Director of Investigations at Black Peak, and I'll be your host today. I'll be speaking with Robin Ganguly, Head of Content and APAC Editor for Information. We'll be discussing the investment climate and deal volume for 2020 in APAC, and we'll also trade views on key trends to look out for in the coming year, such as ESG investment, and some of the potential risks that could arise out of certain types of ESG mandates. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Thanks for joining us today, Robin. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about the investment climate in Asia uh, so far this year. Back earlier in the year, um, there were forecasts that uh, things were going to get very dire, rest of the year? Has this really happened?
1: That's actually a very interesting question, Alex. Um, I remember back you know, to the period that you refer to, uh, February, March, people were very concerned, and uh, April, May, June as well. So we were all looking at um, really terrible rest of the year. And uh, there were even uh, just a couple of months ago, people are saying that Fourth quarter uh, was a complete washout, and we were expecting, like you said, Armageddon. However, this hasn't really quite happened that way. It hasn't turned out that way because if you look at the numbers, uh it's quite heartening. For instance, information and spark spread, which I run across uh, across the Asia pack. So we have these quarterly league tables. Uh so at the end of September, the year-to-date numbers, let me just run through some numbers. Numbers for you so we had um, these are deals that reached financial close so these are 68 billion US dollars uh, for Asia um, from January through through September 2020 that compares to USD 71 billion uh, a year earlier so that's a decline of four and a half percent actually less than four and a half percent for Australia and New Zealand uh, the figure was slightly uh, slightly worse uh, we had $24 billion odd dollars, uh, U.S. dollars of, of closed deals compared to about $32 a uh, decline of 25%. But you know, if you look um, overall at the Asia-Pacific market, uh, that same period of nine months, we closed about $92 billion U.S. dollars of deals in the nine months uh, through September compared to 104 a year earlier. That's a decline of uh, about 11%. Uh, that's not really bad considering that You know, people are expecting a total washout. So the numbers haven't really, don't really paint Armageddon. But, you know, one has to remember that many of these deals were uh, initiated, uh, brought to market, so to speak, before uh, COVID-19 happened. Initially, we did see actually a lot of shock, like in the second quarter, the first part of the second quarter, um, as well as the um, first quarter towards the end. So we saw things dropping off a, off the cliff. But, uh, you know, subsequently, when people started realizing that, uh, you know, COVID-19 is not a short-term thing, uh, and, that, you know, the whole exercise of uh, hundreds of millions of people, I mean, I don't have data to back that, but uh, potentially working from home and um, eager to close deals. Uh, the, you know, stock markets are down, gold prices went up. Uh, and then when we saw Central banks around the world, the like U.S. Federal Reserve, amazing quantitative easing—you know their uh, bond buyback program—and then you know central banks across uh, across the world, and you know in Asia Pacific, no no different from India down to Australia. Um, you know in some in some jurisdictions, rates close to zero, borrowing uh, rates close to zero, and people borrowing. Trillions of dollars into certain sectors. Uh, China, for instance, you know one one point four trillion dollars uh, digital infrastructure slash uh, e- economy. So uh, there's been a lot of support um, overall. Mm-hmm. Would you like me to speak about some of the
0: sectors that were? Um... You read my mind. That was my next question. What are the sectors that are driving these deals? Uh,
1: great minds think, think alike, as, as, as people say. But um, so the one that i i mentioned um digital infrastructure obviously you know that it was always going to rise and you know we have seen billion dollar data centers uh, around the world even before covid 19 happened but what covid has done is kind of accelerated the whole process right it's made uh, you know if you want your economy to grow one way or the other you cannot ignore digitalization you get Danger of being left behind. So digital has done really well. It's a hot new sector. The numbers, um, I think, don't really bear out at the moment. But there's incredible interest. You know, all the major investors around the world, uh, the macquarie's of the world, and every big investor, um, even uh, even pension funds, are are, uh, are showing interest uh, in in the sector. And um, you know, most. Most economies around the world are actually pushing for big data center projects. The problem with that is um, most of these, uh, this particular sector, is dominated by existing players. So it will take some time um, for others to get into the market. So on the other hand, the interesting thing is that since this is dominated by a few players around the world, there is scope for others to get into in, into the market. It's not saturated by by any other any other sector. The other brilliant sector uh, is, of course, renewables. As you and I, you know, we we spoke recently and we were chatting about that as well. Um, and this time, the crisis has been quite surprising because usually in a crisis, people fall uh, fall back to you know traditional forms of infrastructure to try and boost uh, boost economy. Uh, China, for instance. Um, world's well, second largest economy and has always had this habit in the past 15 20 25 30 years that when they when they fall on hard times and they want to boost the economy they try and increase production they try and increase a lot of social spending um, so you know traditional forms of infrastructure like roads um, airports etc you know they, they tend to get a lot of focus and relatively uh, you know our viewers want won't see me, but I'm making the court marks. The air courts, newfangled um, uh, sectors such as, as renewables could happen to fall by the wayside. This is not uh, is not the case uh, this time around, uh, and the data is like pretty clear. For instance, in Asia, you know, I said um, Asia about sixty-eight billion dollars in the first nine months of, of this year. About thirty-eight percent of that was was renewable. So, and uh, you know, even even further south in Australia, and New Zealand. I mean, you know, they've got very clear uh, renewable energy energy goals, and you know, we've had recent elections fought over where this. Was quite a major major part. So, to wrap up, um, digital economy, mm-hmm. data centers, especially. Then uh, renewables has done really well, and it will continue to do well um, because most most governments uh, some governments rather have you know zero emission targets uh, in the next couple of de- couple of decades uh, one side I'd like to mention is uh, telecom towers so it's also a very interesting sector because mm-hmm. you know a lot of the work is being done digitally in fact the one podcast that we are putting out will also be digital uh, so telecom carriers especially in Philippines and Indonesia uh, uh, even in Australia, you know, you have Telstra trying with the idea. So these are some of the more interesting sectors uh, so far this year and continuing into possibly the next couple of years.
0: That's very interesting. And some of the sectors you mentioned, TMT, renewables, um, were already quite active mm-hmm. uh, when, when COVID hit, as you say. Um, so it's to some degrees perhaps fort- fortunate that they were not so heavily impacted um, were there any sectors that were quite active pre-COVID that have uh, uh, seen a more serious impact, where uh, deal value volume has, has fallen significantly? Uh,
1: see, like I said, many of the deals that were happening in uh, at least the second and third quarters of two thousand and twenty, they were basically initiated a while before COVID nineteen. So uh, this would quite surprise you, but transport did fairly well. Um, in asia twenty one percent of the closed um closed deals. However, as you know everyone who's listening to this podcast is aware, the transport has taken quite a bit of a beating, like in in India, for instance, you saw some of the world's biggest lockdowns, so roads has taken a hit um airports are doing really well, and it 's actually really surprising at several forums that forums that i have uh, either moderated or spoken at, or, or even you know, really smart people that I speak with, they're all, when it's the same refrain, that this is such a shock for investors in in uh, in these mainstream assets, so to speak, like airports. So airports has taken a major hit. And one is not quite sure when, uh, when things are going to get back to normal. Um, we had, I was speaking to some people back a couple of months ago, and they were heavily invested in airports, so they took a lot of effort to defend their investments in airports. But uh but as you know, things are looking quite bad. Some places you have traffic down ninety-eight percent, ninety-nine percent. So yeah, airports doing very well. Now they're not. Right.
0: Interesting. And um just give one second, I lost my Um, You also mentioned to me earlier that we've seen an increase in the number of deals in spite of this slightly lower um, total figure for this year as compared to last. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you add a little detail and context to that? I thought that was pretty interesting.
1: So we had, um, along with the slight decrease in, in total deal value, so we had in 2019, the first nine months of the year, we had 151 deals in Asia. For instance, uh, two thousand and twenty COVID nineteen financing problems, uh, I mean all sorts of things, lockdowns, etc. But we had a two hundred and six deals uh, compared to one hundred and fifty one uh, a year earlier. So that is actually quite interesting. And um, uh, the question I'm, I'm assuming you're going to ask is why? Uh, why did the number of deals um, go up? Because I think. What happened was, like I said before, after the initial shock in the first quarter, and in the first half of the second quarter, people started coming back, you know, with a vengeance, so to speak. So a lot of these deals were, like I said, already in the market, and I think they rushed uh, to close them. There was a lot of available capital, and in some cases, like you know, what I had, you and I spoke before was also that um, people started um, trying to do a little bit of a bargain and hunting right. here and there yeah. so uh, but you know just post you know things going pretty bad in in march uh, where you, know, you saw rates as actually rising quite significantly uh the premium was or libor was quite significant but they seem to have come down um, and there was a lot of money in the market you know and i suspect this is why there's a reluctance to do uh, really big-ticket deals, but we did see some. Um, but on the other hand, COVID-19 challenge, yes. Uh, but if you look around the world, the amount of stimulus, the amount of support, uh, which, you know, I mean, we could talk further in the program, which could turn out to be a bit of, bit of an issue later. But I think all these things kind of encourage Massive short support.
0: And what about looking forward to uh, two thousand and twenty-one? Then, uh, um, what are investors expecting, and, and markets expecting, and, and what are governments in the region uh, doing to prepare uh, for next year? See, one of the major
1: things that people were basing their predictions on was, um, uh, you know, the discovery of a vaccine by December two thousand and twenty. That's next month. From the look of things, we seem to be heading in that direction. Um, We already have news on that front. Markets have taken heart. um, And people are actually just like very eager to get back to work in in most places. Like I said, there is a a lot of money that people have held on to. Not as much as we had thought earlier because, you know, we were expecting a massive flood. But then, as you saw the numbers uh, overall, you know, Asia Pacific deals down eleven percent on year, January to September. It's not really inactivity, uh, considering mm-hmm. the challenges that have been there. <clears throat> so, I think looking ahead, people are really eager to get back. Uh, but many investors, uh, many advisors, uh, you know, have kind of overhauled the way they look at things, the way they do uh, particular, uh, particular, uh, take particular decisions. And, um, and that has actually kind of sped up some of the process. So I think people are quite eager to get back into it in in 2021. And we are seeing, uh, there are a lot of delayed deals, uh, Alex, which will come, which will come into the market next year.
0: Are these delayed deals uh, to any degree going to uh, constitute a risk of an overflowed market uh, once once the crisis subsides? Is that a direction we're headed in now?
1: See, that was, um, that was the concern at one point in time. Okay, so information, um, so our reporters and researchers, so we went out in, in September. <coughs> Sorry, we went out in September and then we tried to gather some data. This is not exhaustive. But <clears throat> overall, Asia Pacific uh, delayed by COVID nineteen, not implemented or not moving forward by the end of September. Overall, USD sixty three billion dollars. That's a lot of dollars, right? And uh, a lot of them, like for uh, airports, for instance, USD ten billion dollars. And um, roads, we have nine billion. This is um, this is Asia, Asia Pacific. Um, the biggest delays we've seen are in India. Um, from the data that we managed to collect, uh, twenty-four projects delayed, um, value USD thirteen billion. Uh, China was second with five projects uh, worth USD six billion, but this state is a little bit uh, little bit stilted because of a China Three Gorges deal. With uh, China's looking, that China Three Gorges is looking to. Sell a minority stake in its overseas portfolio for about four billion dollars. But um, so these, but your question is whether this will come into into the market next year and flood it and stifle um, other activity. Uh, the answer, I don't, I don't think it's true. I think we are going to see a lot of activity because you know this is already done and dusted. You know, just minor negotiations, etc., need to happen. Um, but remember, not all of this will come through because some of these projects, uh, because of COVID nineteen, they have been affected. So, sixty three billion. I'm not sure how much of that will actually be completed. But uh, there is room for a lot of um, for a lot of other deals. Uh, investors currently in Asia in, in the Asia Pacific market. You know, there are two schools of investors. One school says we are not in the we are not in the business of nation building. So if you are the Indian government, for instance, and you want to, uh, in a economy et cetera, so they are reluctant to take greenfield risk, for instance. Right. They are reluctant to take uh, greenfield risk. Um, so they want the government to initiate, and they want to get into secondary secondary assets. Right. And remember, many of them um, many of them don't have the same workforces as before, um, which brings me to an interesting thought. Uh, that you know you you're the expert you're the expert on this. If I may ask, uh, for my for my for my knowledge, what risks do you see as far as ESG is concerned um, in twenty twenty one and maybe twenty twenty two, given the backdrop of you know people severely trimming their workforces as well as uh, potentially some processes? Is that something that could be?
0: Absolutely. I mean that's something uh, we're looking at. Um, ESG uh, has been and continues to be a major and very positive trend uh, in investment, as well as uh, uh, for corporates in terms of how they how they uh, run their operations worldwide and, and deal with third parties. Um, and the um, COVID has not really dampened that enthusiasm as well. And uh, I think we published a piece on this. Black Peak published a piece on this previously. We see 2021 being a, a particularly a strong year for for ESG as well and for that trend to continue um there's a lot of ways to look at the i think the risks that uh, covid has uh, posed to in terms of ESG um in a general sense as you just mentioned uh, one major risk factor is all the disruption that's happened uh, uh with regards to layoffs uh, pay cuts uh sp- scaling back of uh, back office functions in some cases sometimes including areas such as HR, and even in some cases, areas such as uh, internal audit and compliance, supply supply chain disruption, uh, changes in the way people are dealing with third parties. Maybe they'll outsource more uh, simply because they had to cut back certain functions internally or uh, what previously were uh, full-time employees will end up uh, becoming part-time or subcontractors um and other other areas as well such as supply chain disruption and travel restrictions now those that's a very long list of of uh of of things that have changed and, and potentially been disrupted and, and essentially what it means is that the way that work is done has has been fundamentally changed in in uh in a lot of areas and the uh the type of risk particularly third party risk um has changed and um Companies understandably have been focused on survival, particularly third parties. I think this applies to a lot of the third parties that corporates will be dealing with. Um, um, There's a there's there's a very different uh, sort of landscape, Um, and one that is, you know, this work from home is another example. Is to some degree, it's it's come online and been surprisingly worked surprisingly well, but to some degree, it's it's untested and. The old way of managing these risks is uh, it's uncertain to what degree it's going to it's going to just, you know, adapt immediately to this. Um, It's hard to generalize beyond that once it Mm. gets to to even even on a sector by sector level, because it really it can depend, for example, on the size of a company, Um, a smaller player with less diversity, uh, uh, less diversification. Um, might be more impacted than a, than a more diversified, larger company in terms of the degree to which they've just had to um, make a lot of changes to, to survive, which which could uh, increase the risk. Um, but um, this is a, this is sort of the, the broader picture that I think um, makes it more difficult to implement these ESG mandates, in particular as they relate to third parties. And coming into 2021, um, we're going to likely see a lot more um, systemic issues, uh, uh, particularly as they relate to third parties and supply chains that are going to, to, to come to light as they clash with these, um, in some cases, relatively ambitious, uh, um, but very important ESG mandates that are being rolled out by institutional investors and, and uh, uh, MNCs.
1: Quick, uh, quick follow-up on that one. Uh, you know, information conducted a survey um, in April last year where 9 out of 10 out of the more than 100 respondents said that in the past 12 months, ESG has become a more important part of their investment decision-making. Um, do you think companies are going to focus less on ESG or, or more on ESG in this current situation? And uh, with particular attention to, to Asia-Pacific.
0: I think the trend that we're seeing um, is certainly that there is going to be more and more focus on it, um, and to some extent, COVID will will have had an impact. Um, but to, to another way of looking at it is just it's the importance of ESG is that it looks to sort of resolve the fundamental contradiction uh, that lies in our global economic system, which is the values of of uh, consumers, consumers, and, and uh, investors, often in developed economies, with the reality on the ground in, in developing economies, which is precisely why it's such an important uh, uh, initiative. But a lot of the issues that it seeks to resolve are, are systemic, and are going to take time um, and likely a few uh, uh, scandalous headlines before they really become addressed and uh, and and are changed. So COVID certainly hasn't. Um, Helped that process. Um, But uh, I think that it is going to be a process of a lot of issues coming to light, which um, perhaps were not that well known, and even maybe investors themselves may have not been aware of existed within the the broader network of third parties and and, uh, supply chains that they dealt with. Um, And that's going to be the process by which they gradually uh, become rectified. Um, It may be a slightly more Messy process than many are
1: are expecting. It's quite interesting actually, because um, about a month and a half ago, so I was speaking to um, the head of Asia for one of the largest investment banks, and uh, so he was mentioning how a lot of his clients have also started insisting on on some sort of um, ESG section to their uh, to the cases that they're looking at. Um, so this major investment bank is also, uh, you know, I had a very interesting conversation with him. So asking him about what general hot new sectors um, in the Asia Pacific. So he mentioned to me that, um, you know, offshore wind is, is quite interesting as well. Uh, so I'm just moving on from the, mm-hmm. from the ESG side of things. Um, so for so long, I mean, it's no secret that South Korea has been by far the biggest, um area of interest as far as foreign investors are concerned uh, in offshore wind but looking ahead if you're looking towards 2021 you were asking me earlier which sectors Mm -hmm. um japan is actually very 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 interesting so they have um these offshore wind promotion zones uh, Mm -hmm. some of which have also been named and some of which will be named i'll I'll give you some uh, some examples. There's a Koto city in Nagasaki Prefecture, Joshi City in um, Chiba uh, Prefecture, North Japan Sea in Amori. So these are some areas which uh, you know, which are going to see pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting, interesting growth in uh, 2021. Why I bring this up is the same point I was making earlier. In this time of crisis, you expect people to kind of, you know, tighten their wallets. Right. Mm-hmm. As in, um, be very careful about investing. But the amount of uh, interest that we see, even in these projects, which have, uh, uh, they're not even shovel-ready. Mm-hmm. Like in Australia, for instance, you know, Australia, New Museum, there's a lot of support for shovel-ready projects. But these are not even shovel-ready, just looking ahead. Uh, so people, are, you know, they... They haven't. They haven't seen Armageddon. I don't think they're expecting to see Armageddon in the next uh, year, year and a half as well. So the fact that you know they're putting their money
0: where their uh, where their mouth is it's quite interesting. That is interesting. It sort of uh, relates to circle back to what you mentioned at the beginning, um, and I think we were speaking about this earlier as well. Is uh, we seem to have become somewhat accustomed to periodic crises. Uh, seem to be confident that things will, things will normalize, and there will be perhaps a renewed period of growth even following, following each uh, subsequent crisis. Is that sort of the attitude? Can that uh, uh, summarize the attitude to some degree in the market this time? Uh,
1: yes, that's an interesting point uh, you bring up because, you know, I think what the world has become is you know you, the, the skin has. The height has thickened, uh, so to speak. So we had 2008. Uh, then you know, we had uh, you know, stuff like geopolitical tensions around the world. We had, we had several wars in the past decade and a half. We've had SARS in Hong Kong, which you know, drove down things dramatically. But you see, now you, you and I are both based in Hong Kong. You know, we can go anywhere we like. We have certain social distancing uh, restrictions, but that is only to be expected. Uh, and markets haven't really, I mean, apart from the initial, you know, tip down, it was a dip more than a more than a decline. Um, we haven't really, we haven't really seen um, much negativity. I think the major difference this time around is, um, you know, people are, they have accepted that COVID nineteen is going to be here for a while. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is that instead of waiting for COVID nineteen to peter out as SARS did. Um, I think what they're doing different this time around is they're looking for ways to work around mm-hmm. COVID-19 without waiting for it to die out, so to speak. Right. So I think uh, the attitude is, is good. People have accepted, and um, they're looking ahead.
0: To some degree, it's even uh, the crisis the COVID crisis has even driven growth, as you mentioned earlier. It, think,
1: surprisingly, yeah. so it has. And then, you know, people have started um even preparing for uh, next crisis you know we had stuff like disaster recovery centers etc you know where offices would have a certain um a certain backup but then you know also they have now decided even companies who were not investing in technology now they are you see there's no way no way around um investing in technology and um like for instance, uh, you know this whole work from home, uh, work from home exercise. Right. So you are not. Uh, so one one disaster uh, doesn't break the whole network, right? Because you mm-hmm. are each connected to hopefully different networks and different regions and different like me for in, instance, you know, information. So I manage people across the Asia Pacific. So Australia, New Zealand. Uh, we have in Sydney. We have in Tokyo. We have in Mumbai and Singapore and so on and so forth. um technology people have started investing in technology and this is actually one of the big growth sectors for infrastructure investors what you know the area that i look at pretty closely so uh, even in renewable energy for instance you know technology was a major issue but people have started investing in in technology companies because that is something that's going to avoid major setbacks in the future
0: right well that's a very helpful message Uh, Thank you again for joining us today, uh, Robin. And uh, let's hope for a uh...
1: very happy to be here. Uh, That is a very interesting conversation.